The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Jaguars win. <laughs> oh, that's a different class. Sorry, different class. We thank you, Lord, for your, uh, your good word, and we uh, just thank you, God, to be back together to study it. We thank you, Lord, for this new year and ask that you would uh, begin now to draw us ever closer to you through your good word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So seriously, how about the game? Oh, my God. <laughs> I was preaching uh, at the 8 o'clock service, but not really paying attention uh, to what I was saying. I was just thinking about the game. It was so, so great. Yeah, it, you know, what was what was neat was that's what everybody else was thinking about, too. So, uh, I wasn't. There was a sermon? Yeah, right. Bless your heart. Um, turn this up just a little bit. All right. Well, it has been so long since we looked at the gospel according to Matthew. Uh, it has been since All Saints Sunday. All Saints Sunday. We've been off a little bit, and then Father George uh, came in and and, um, and taught us about the prayer book, and that was really nice, wasn't it? And then for you guys who sat, that was really good. We'll try to get uh, some more opportunities to uh, squeeze squeeze the juice out of that uh, that lemon a little bit for. Um, yeah, he just so so rich in his knowledge of history and of, of the liturgy. Um, but we haven't been looking at scriptures since uh, November 6th, and absence makes the heart grow fonder, I'm sure. <laughs> been eagerly anticipating this. So where are we? Where are we in the story? Remember that Matthew has uh, now firmly established that his case that Jesus is the Messiah. You remember the uh, we had the birth, and then we have the Sermon on the Mount, and everything leading up to chapter 16 with uh, the miracles and the teaching and the healings just to, to all say that Jesus is the Messiah, which culminates in Peter saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then, as I've said many, many, many times, we from there we move towards Jerusalem. And, the, and what we see in that between the confession of Peter and the getting to Jerusalem is that discipleship is a matter of dying to self, uh, lifting up Christ dying to ourselves, trusting Christ to raise us up. And now he's in Jerusalem. This is uh, his last week. Uh, he Probably today we get, it's probably Wednesday. And uh, we've had the, uh, the uh, triumphal entry and the cleansing of the temple. Uh, we've had his teaching. Remember he cursed the fig tree. It was a symbol of, of sort of the religious establishment um, it didn't work bearing any fruit. And then we have the parable of the talents, um, where the one hid, the, you know, that had been given just as much, hid the, hid the treasure. The parable of the wedding feast, where the, the invited guests didn't, didn't come in. And, and the Pharisees are, are trying to trap in, him in his words, and Jesus has been having these sort of veiled allusions, maybe not so veiled allusions, to uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, challenging their authority as he is challenging. Uh, He's challenging their authority as they are challenging his authority. But today, any sort of hinting around, any, uh, any veiled comments from Jesus, the veil comes off. 
right? Today is called Jesus Drops the Mic, because he lets them have it. And uh, it, is, uh, it is remarkable. And if, uh, if this is how it happened, which is to say, if, um, if this is, this perhaps is a compilation, you know, that he had different woe sayings and, and Matthew has put it all together. But you know, Mark and Luke don't include this monologue. But Matt, so we want, we want to wonder what is Matthew doing here, and we're, I'm going to re, we're going to read the monologue um, in just a minute. But remember, Matthew is often called the most Jewish of the Gospels, and yet he is he has this uh, blistering monologue of Jesus, this uh, indictment of the religious complex, the the teaching and the practice, particularly not the teaching, but the practice uh, of the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, he, Matthew has the most fulfillment of prophecy, the most imagery of Jesus as the new Israel, the new Moses. Um, and, and whether it's a single uh, monologue or a compilation, Matthew is reorienting us from the, subst- from, from, excuse me, from the form of the religion to the substance of the religion. In other words, Jesus will never say that what the Pharisees are telling you to do is wrong. What he's saying is that the fact that they don't do it themselves is what's wrong. Um, and he really goes after the motivation of their hearts. And we want, it does essentially the same thing uh, in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. He goes after, not the law, but after the, what the, what the motivation of our heart in, in fulfilling the law. So I don't think, what I want to say is I don't think we need to read this as Jesus saying that the scribes and the Pharisees are a bunch of terrible people. Right? That's, um, that they're terrible individuals. But that the religious system in which they have been trained and in which they participate has utterly lost its way. It's, it's a, in fact a real warning for us as the religious establishment. For me to be employed by it. But, but for all of us being active in the religious establishment. It's a real warning. It's easy, I think, for this to be repeated in our own time, uh, where we make, where we prioritize the uh, form of the the worship and the um, the form of the procedure of everything that we do as a church more important than the substance, which is to say, the worship of God and the knowledge of Jesus, uh, a personal relationship with Christ. Um, I don't want to like ask for you to just you know raise your hand and point out examples where you've seen hypocrisy in the church, um, but but <laughs> I'm afraid of what you might say. But uh, um, but I I mean really you could 16th century selling of indulgences. Selling of indulgences. That's yeah okay. Thank you for making that very um, uh, removed from your current rector. Um, I, I have, uh, that's one thing I've never done, is sold indulgences. Uh, at least not under that name. See, um, so, um, but I, I mean, it really is. I and mean, this is, in fact, you know, some people love, like, the high church worship. You know, the incense and the, all the extra garments and stuff. And they love that. And there's people in this parish that love that and miss that and kind of resent, honestly, that, that I don't. Do that, and I'll say a lot of times my short answer. I'm I'm low church, but let me tell you that the reason it, it, that I and, and 
this is to say nothing of those who are high church, because some people authentically use those things to worship God. But for me, the form becomes enticing. And I find that I start worrying much more about have I bowed at the right time, have I worn the right thing, have I said the prayer the right way, have I swung the incense, maybe not that far, but have I... Um, have I done it the right way? Have we jingled the bells the right way? Like, just rather than knowing what they mean, what they're for, and using those things as vehicles to worship, for me, they become more about the form. And that's why we don't do it. Because to me, it's a distraction. Um, and I don't mean to say, like, it's all about me. Uh, I'm just, that's how I know how to lead worship. I guess is, is that's 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 the that's the sort of longer explanation that may raise some more questions for you, and I'm happy to answer those. Um, and you can just email me uh, anytime. <laughs> what, what's the address again? George at uh, yeah G Hinchliffe at. Um, in fact, I think George actually would would love it. If we, you know, I mean, if, if he's much more oriented that way. And I really, I mean, I really admire uh, Anglo what we call Anglo-Catholics, you know, really uh, people who are uh, just supremely drawn into that thin place through those elements of worship. It just, for me, I don't, I can't tell you why, it just doesn't, uh, didn't work that much. I mean, I, every now and then if someone else is leading it, I can go and, and participate in it, and that's, that's wonderful, but and it's beautiful, but it's, it's, in terms of functioning as worshipful, I've not found that place. Um, all right. So we are going to do something unprecedented in our study of Matthew. We're going to get, we're going to attempt to get through one whole chapter in one day. <coughs> Hold on to your hats. Let's have someone read the um, the first paragraph, one through twelve. Would someone be willing to do that for us? Uh, thank you, Sissy. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their okay, phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. All right. Thank you. I'm, I'm sure we could actually, uh, we should, oh look, you know who's coming in right now? 
Denise Foley is coming in. Really? Yeah. Everybody say, hey, Denise. Hey, Denise. Everybody, we, we miss you. So glad to see you. Well, I can't see you. I just see your name. But um, really glad to have you with us. Miss you, you and Keith. Um, all right. So we're looking at, at uh, Matthew 23, and we read the first 12 uh, verses. Uh, Jesus says, do what they tell you. And what are they telling? What what is the teaching of the of the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus is endorsing? Hmm? No, the, the teaching. What is the teaching that the scribes and the Pharisees are endorsing? You say, do what they tell you. Follow the law. Yeah, do what the word says. There, he's not his his qualms are not with the word that they're instructing. He said, do what I, do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. In other words, they what he says they preach, but they don't practice. And that's how come a, they weren't brought up short by the, the others. That how come they weren't brought up short by people that weren't rabbis or? The question is how why weren't they brought up short by those who weren't rabbis? And the answer I I do not know the answer to that. Why I think that it was the culture was such that. They were the establishment, and you were to trust them. They were God's mouthpiece. And so if what they said was right, and God had privileged them. Um, and, and in fact, their, work, their outward works were, in fact, really righteous. Right? And, that, and it looked like they were the most righteous. That's why their, their phylacteries were broad and their fringes were long. A phylactery was, uh, they would... As I understand, the way I envision it anyway, they would actually have the, a scroll of the Word of God in a box on their head that was like, I don't know, elastic, do they have elastic then? They leather cord or something and tied up. And they would, have, and they would make great big ones so people would see like how much word they had on their, on their head. And um, which really must look hilarious uh, in, in retrospect. But that's... Um, and I haven't noticed. In the, do they have that in the chosen? Have, have they? Have they, have they any, no, no. no broad phylacteries. Well, um, Apparently, there are still Jews who do that. I think there. I think there are. Yeah. No, I think there are. Uh, hopefully, hopefully they're quite small. But um, the. Um, but it says. But he says they they're doing it to be seen by others. Now, the the, the idea of not practicing what they preach. Is, uh, is, in fact, such an indictment. It's like if I were, and I've certainly done this, when I tell my kids not to be angry, all right? And then they get angry, and what do I do? I get angry. I told you not to be angry. Like, you know, like, don't speak to your mother that way. Um, and they should follow my words and not get angry, right? Speaking of mother. But I have, um, I have not, oh, hey, honey. Um, <laughs> This is just, it's just hot, totally hypothetical, uh, uh, <laughs> hypothetical situation. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm telling them they should follow my words, but I'm not giving them in that moment any credible example at all. In fact, I'm, I'm teaching them that they they need to get in line until they get a position of privilege like I have, and then they can yell all they want, right? And that's what that's essentially the Pharisees' mind. You know, until you work your way into our position, you got to you got to do all these things, which is which is essentially, um, you know, how they view themselves. 
but what the, how the system taught them to view themselves. What, this is developed over generations and generations. Uh, that they were the religious elite. And so um, what Jesus says is they, they, you know, he says the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. They, they're seen on the street corner. They love to be called rabbi. They love to be given the, you know, um, the best seats. And that is, I mean, listen, I do too. Anybody here not like to get, be given nice things? Not like to be given the place of honor? Um, I mean, some people might say, oh, no, I don't, you know, they, they love, the, love the back seat. But we still love the recognition. You know, we still love the recognition. We want people to see. Um, and I, I can, again, the problem is not with the practice. It's with the internal motivation. I always think about a thing that happened when I was at the cathedral in Birmingham. And um, the dean, Frank Limehouse, did... He just, he did not like, he had to pick his senior warden. And being senior warden there, much like it is here, was a thing of high, high social honor. Um, <laughs> it act, I mean, really, like, I mean, everybody in, just in that weird, I mean, Birmingham is a really cool city, but there's some weird cultural things about it, and everybody in the culture knew who was the senior warden at the Advent, or who was the, you know, the head deacon at First Baptist, or whatever like that. Everybody, everybody knew, and, and Frank hated picking the senior warden, but he didn't want to put it up to a vote either, so he did it like we do, select our, our vestry, he pulled the names out of the hat, whoever was going to be the uh, senior warden said so we would interview whoever wanted to be would you know kind of put their name in the hat and then he would interview everybody and he wouldn't tell you know whose name came out of the hat but and then he would just privately pick the name out of the hat and nobody really knew about that practice but for one, one year and I have no recollection as to why it is he had four really good candidates and he decided he was going to pick the name out of the hat in front of the vestry um, to kind of show his impartiality, I think. And he picked the name out, and it was a guy named Lee, and Lee did a fantastic job as a senior warden. But one of the guys who was left in was incensed that his fortune was left to a game of chance. And he wrote for an email uh, outlining all the things that he had done in his career at the Advent over the last 30 years. And he said towards the end, and Frank read us, the, he said, everything I have worked for in the last 30 years has been lost to a game of chance. And we thought, well, thank God. You know, like, I mean, like, everything you've worked for hadn't been for Jesus. Everything you've worked for has been so that you could have your name on the, on the bulletin to say you're a senior. Like, I just, we just, it was astounding. And he ended up, you know, as you might expect, leaving the church. Um, Did you tell him to read the second chapter of Acts? How they picked the replacement? Well, in fact, he mentioned that. I, I remember that he mentioned that in his letter that, that he had read that that was actually... Um, that God's choice was Paul, and Matthias never took a place of, of prominence because that was uh, they had actually disobeyed by not waiting on God. So that was, and that is some people's perspective. But that's why Frank did it because he read this, the uh, chapter in Acts, and I think it's the first chapter doesn't matter. And um, and 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 anyway, they didn't see that passage the same. 
And uh, all in all, we're going to see things the way we want to see them. And, and that guy just felt like, anyway, I've always seen that. And it wouldn't be easy to throw a rock at that guy. But you got, we got to hold that guy up as a mirror. And say, where is my heart in this? Am I doing what I'm doing for the Lord? Or do I, do, I, mean, you know, do I like being told, wow, great sermon. You're the, man, you're the best. You're the best. <laughs> Love that. Love that. And Jesus says something that he says, has said so many times. I think like if you were to boil down and just pick out the few threads of what Jesus said, this would be maybe at the top. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This relentless pursuit of humility, this continual dying to self and lifting, lifting up not ourselves but up uh, the Lord whom we serve, um, to humble ourselves and just let the Lord do the exalting. And that's hard to do, man, because you know you do you, you work. Hard enough and long enough, you want some recognition for it. And this, it is hard, it's, you know, it's not hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. It's hard, it's just hard to be humble when you work hard. Anybody else? Is that just me? Anybody? You, do you know what I'm saying? You, you, you picking up what I'm putting down here? Smell what you're cooking. Smell what I'm cooking. <laughs> The only, I mean, the only one who can peg us on this is the one who left heaven and earth to be born in a state. I mean, that's, you know, who came not to, not to be served, but to serve. Who came to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, and, it's, and even then, it's God who exalts him, right? That every knee should bow and every tongue confess. He gives everything to, to the Lord. And so he's the only one, really, that can peg us uh, on this. But peg us, he does. And I'm just going to read them all. All the woes. And, and you can see, and we'll come back. I've got, I can't look, we can't look at all of them, but I'm going to look at a, a couple of them in particular. But woe to you. Now, so now he's not just talking to the disciples. And I, I meant to mention too, this number nine is why I never introduced introduce myself as Father, oh, not never, but hardly ever introduce myself as Father Joe. Um, and, you know, it doesn't mean you're, I don't think it means you're doing something wrong, but it's just, it just, I don't know, it makes me a little nervous. But, um, but I don't, I don't correct people or, or stop people. I just, you know, it just, I'm happy to be called Joe. Um, the, uh, all right, here we go. Verse 13, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Whew. Lord, man, no one. I mean, I just to, to be told, people would come into the kingdom of heaven if it weren't for you. Oh, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. It's like a, uh, a disciple, a follower of the Pharisees. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you yourselves. <laughs> Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, 
the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred. And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. Whoever swears by heaven and swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind God straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. So illustrative. I mean, it's just so poignant. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate. Inside, they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. And so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. And thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you the prophets. Who sends prophets? God. I mean, this is a bald claim to divinity. I send you the prophets and the wise men and the scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, and stones those who were sent to, sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you are not willing. And see, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Drop the mic. That's the last time he's in the temple. At all. And he heads out. <clears throat> verse, 20, verse 1 of chapter 24, Jesus left the temple and was going away. Whew. What, is, what is your, um, what's your initial impression of, of this tongue lashing of Jesus? Josh? So, when you get to the one with the, uh, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate. Yeah. It's, it's, it's using a metaphor, right? But then he goes, but the inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. He just abandons the metaphor. And it hit me then, you know, we've talked about uh, um, parables and speaking, all these parables and how you have to unwrap all that. There's, I mean, there's stuff to talk about here, 
but it's not a mystery to unwrap. He's hitting you over the head with the hammer. The veil comes off. Yeah, yeah there, there is no mystery. No talking circles. What did you mean by that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's right. What else? My grandmother would say we need a tent revival. We need a tent revival. Yeah, we need a tent revival. Yes. All right. I'm game. Yes. Ooh, you know they were. I mean, like I said, if this isn't just a compilation, if this is how it happened, this is what got him killed. Was that part of the plan? Yeah, probably. Was that part of the plan? Yeah, I think so. Good meat. Good meat makes his own gravy. Good meat makes his own gravy. <laughs> that is uh Well, it would get even worse than saying the hogs hit the cabbage. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what is going on with these woes? Let me first ask, what is woe? What does that mean? Beware. Beware, okay. Yeah, honing in on it. Shame. Shame on you. Be, beware, be afraid, right? Be saddened. Be drawn to repentance. I think all these things. How dare you? That's probably on the, on the Venn diagram, the how dare you and be drawn to repentance are on the different sides of the circle, but it's probably both within the circle. I mean, woe, when we say, if, if you were to say, woe is me, you might you probably say it kind of jokingly, but but you would mean like, oh no. Or I, I don't know how much more of this I can take. Um and and I think that's what he's saying. I don't know how much more of you people I can take. There is a, a fundamental change that is about to happen in this religious complex. Every time scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, hypocrites, hypocrites. You remember um, that word? It means uh, is a theater word, right? It means the um, one who puts on a mask, and um, and it's like an actor. It looks like one thing, actually, but takes off the mask when the play's over. And all of us, I mean, this is this is the indictment of the church, isn't it? Oh, you know, that church is just a bunch of hypocrites. I mean, you might have friends that say that, you might have children that just said that. Oh, I, you know, I. Um, and, you know, the response is, well, we could always use one more. But the, um, the um, I mean, there's, there's and, and yet the same, the same thing is, that, is that, that we need to be very careful. Because it is so, in fact, so easy to pay attention to following the things that are important to us and be completely mindless about how we treat other people. You know, I we might justify ourselves. Well, I can I I uh, I give to my church, and so it's okay that I blasted the barista at Starbucks because she got my venti cappuccino wrong or some whatever. There's no such thing as a venti cappuccino. Anyway, that's not the point. Um, the um, it, it is um, really important as disciples of Jesus that we pay attention. 
not just to the words we say or the even the knowledge, the scripture that we learn, but that that Bible study, that sermon, that worship, that hymn, that those words actually affect our hearts and affect our behavior. And we're not going to get it perfect. Right, honey? Probably not. But I do actually think that, I mean, I hope that one of the marks of this is that when we get it wrong, that we are sorrowful. Sorrowful. That we are repentant. That we can have the humility to apologize. Um, I want to um, talk about the one, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. So this gets back to how we treat uh, other people. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You ought to have done uh, justice and mercy and faithfulness without neglecting your tithing. I mean, what are you saying? You tied mint and a dill and cumin. And just, I mean, down to the very, I mean, your spices. You're tithing everything that you're given, everything that comes in, you're given a tenth to the temple. Um, you're very careful about your own sort of righteousness. And you're probably telling people. I mean, how would Jesus know if they didn't tell people? Um, but the way that they treat people is unjust or unmerciful, unkind. Um, the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. So I think, I mean, just think for a moment. Hopefully you're, I mean, hopefully you're studying Scripture, right? You're reading your Bible. You're saying your prayers. Maybe you're part of a Bible study. Maybe it's this Bible, this is your Bible study, but you, um, which is great. Is it affecting not just your faith in God, but the faith of God, the faith others have in you, uh, having God through you. Does that make sense? Not just your faith in God, but the faith, the God that people can see when they look at you. Um, that's what's so terrifying to me about when he says that you go and, um, you know, you're, you're preventing people who would have come in to the kingdom. That's terrifying. The letter of the law is very important. And I don't ever, I mean, Jesus himself said not one jot or iota of the law is, um, is, is to be taken away. It is important. Uh, but the spirit of the law is equally important. That, um, that it produces not pride, but love. Love of God and love of neighbor. Not a resume before God and a resume before neighbor to wave around. That's a um, that's something for your accountability group or a, you know a dear friend to speak into in your life. You might ask him. Somebody really knows you well. How am I doing with that? It takes courage. Don't ask somebody who's going to just tell you you're great. Um, what do you what do you have to say about the letter of the law and the spirit of the law? Anything? You feel sufficiently uncomfortable to me. Yeah. You know, to me, when you say the letter of law versus the spirit of law, in my head, initially, I think, oh yeah, if I just have to pay the spirit of law, that's easier. But really, it's like the, um, 
the summary of the law at the beginning of the break one service, where at the end of that, it's uh, Christ have mercy, the Lord have mercy. You, know, you have some mercy three times because, oh, crap, it's way harder than you really think it is. Yeah. And the spirit of the law actually probably is the harder of the two. And, you know, it feels, like I said, at first it's like, oh, it's just the spirit of the law. Oh, it's, it's harder. Well, they're both important because if you just have the spirit of the law, you can make that feel whatever, like whatever feels right to me, then that's just going to be the spirit of the law. And I'm, I'm, the law does, the letter of the law is important to govern it, but it should, again, it should create love. If you just have the letter but not the spirit, then you have no love. You might have sort of outward, that's, that's what Paul was before, and that's dragging Christians into the, you know, into the public square and beating the tar out of them, um, calling for blood because, he was righteous before God. He was following what he thought was the letter of the law, but he didn't have the spirit of the law. So they're both very important. The next two, uh, verse 25 and then 27, those two woes are, I think, twin woes. Uh, the outside looks good, but the inside is the problem. Uh, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate the outside may also be clean. Frank Limehouse again. I, I just remember him saying, man, this, this is a problem. You know, like I got my Alden shoes. <laughs> I, I got, I, I, can, I know how to, he was a haberdasher before. Fashion was very important to him. And, um, but he, uh, he knew how to look good. And he knew that. Like, I mean, that was sort of his illustration. You know, I, know, I know how to look good on the outside. It's the inside that has me crying out for a Savior. You're like whitewashed tombs. Outwardly appear beautiful. But within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. You outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You remember, um, you might remember from 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, the prophet Samuel was in the house of Jesse. He was looking for the next king. The Spirit of God had led him there. And he saw this big strapping uh, son, the oldest son, and then the next son, and the next son. And then he says, I don't see your king. And then this scrappy little kid comes in. He's like, well, that can't be him. And God says to him, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that was David, of course, that was the scrappy kid. And I always, you know, I've said this a lot of times, but I mean, when we pray... um, the collect for purity, the beginning of every service, Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, and we think, oh, He knows me. <laughs> oh, no! Like, that's, not the, that's not the solution, right? That's the problem. That is why we need a Savior. Because God doesn't look at the clean, if you looked at the outside and was impressed with the outside, the Pharisees would have no problems. It's the inside. So what are we to do? Are we to clean up our act? Yes and. <laughs> what do you mean, yes and? Clean up your act, clean up your the inside too, clean up all of it. Clean if, up your act is a continual. Yes. It never ends. Clean up your act in your whole life. First, repent. First, repent. As a response. Say it again. It depends on motivation. 
up your act, that's not going to do anything. Depends on your motivation. It has to come from the love of Christ. Two people with the exact same looking lives. One of them does it because they love God. One of them does it because they love themselves. Right? That's the outside looks the same. The inside is what's what's the difference. So yes, clean up your act, but do it by cleaning up the inside by abject humility, a relentless pursuit of humility, falling upon the mercy of God, and crying out uh, for a savior. Well, well. Um, there, you know, one of the things that I just, and I might, we might talk about the, a little bit of the rest of this next week, but the gospel, which is that Jesus died for our sins, so that we may have everlasting life. That gospel message is not just for non-believers to come to Christ for the first time. But it is the message for Christians. Jesus died for the sins of Christians. And a lot of people forget that. I don't know if you forget that, but a lot of people forget that. That the gospel is not, you're saved by grace, so clean up your act and don't mess up again. We should pursue righteousness. But we will pursue righteousness if what we're pursuing is Jesus. And that pursuit of Jesus draws us to a humble reflection upon ourselves. And if you're anything like me, you'll have plenty to reflect upon on an ongoing basis. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, my friends, it is wonderful to be back in this spot. We might say a little bit about uh, Jesus uh, lamenting over Jerusalem next week, but we're going on to chapter 24. And... Um, it's really good to be back here, and we'll see you in church. God bless you. It's wonderful to have yeah. you back. Yeah, wow, applause. Thanks for being yeah. Denise, it's so good to see you. We miss you so much. Give Keith our best, okay? Bye-bye. Have you ever heard the song Mississippi Squirrel Revival by Ray Steve? Hi, Katie. Oh, sorry. I thought you had to do this. Have you ever heard the song Mississippi Squirrel Revival by Ray Stevens?